Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Jodorowsky, and this week we're discussing Guy and Faye from That Thing You Do. And joining me for the discussion is returning guest, Virginia McAllister. Welcome back, Virginia. Thank you. So this uh, is a film about a fictional one-hit wonder band called The Wonders, and it was written and directed by Tom Hanks, and it starred Tom Everett Scott as the drummer Guy Patterson, Jonathan Skeech as lead singer Jimmy, Steve Zahn as lead guitarist Lenny, Ethan Embry as the bass player, Liv Tyler as Faye, Charlize Theron as Tina, and Tom Hanks as Amos White. And Virginia, I asked you to do this and you seemed a little surprised, but the reason I asked you to come talk about that thing you do is that we had a couple of listeners mention that they wanted us to do an episode on this. And I remember the first time I watched this film, it was because you had gone and bought the VHS copy of it. <laughs> and <laughs> as your younger brother, you said, you'll like this film, you should watch this movie. And so when I heard that, you know, I, I you know, when I was thinking about who to get to come talk about that thing you do, I thought, oh, Virginia is probably the right one because I remember she bought the VHS. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that because it gave me a chance to watch it and I hadn't watched it in quite a long time and it was just such a delight to watch it again. So I appreciate this invitation. It's an interesting text to go look at, particularly when I was looking at the, you know, looking at how it was received and everything. Uh, the film was a bit of a flop, but at the same time, I feel like everyone knows it. And when I was looking up trivia, like I came across a like full oral history uh, that had like Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson mm -hmm. and the whole cast uh, talking about it. And that was done on like its 25th anniversary by the ringer. Uh, so there's definitely like still a significant fan engagement and like cultural engagement with it where like these entertainment websites are doing retrospectives uh, on it. But it seems like at the time it just kind of came and went and, and uh, I, I saw a quote from Tom Hanks where he's like, I felt like we had at least a three-star movie, but we didn't make three-star film money, mm. <laughs> is, is kind of what he said uh, about it. Um, and I'm, I guess we'll, we can dig into why that may have been uh, uh, about it. Um, but it's one of those films that it came out in, um, let's see, what year was it? Was it 1994? Am I getting this right? Ooh, Let me double check. I, I didn't put know. that. Yeah. Uh, I definitely remember it as like a high school film for me. 96. It came out in 96. Okay. Um, and it's a, it's a film that I remember like everyone in high school kind of knew about. So I was surprised how little money it made. Uh, Cause I, mm -hmm. I just kind of remember it felt like everyone had seen it and knew it. So that thing you do has a 94% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which I agree. That seems right. This is a very pleasant film, mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't a big hit. It grossed 25.9 million domestically and 8.7 internationally. And that was it. <laughs> Um, that was a bit disappointing uh, at the time, but it did find a new audience. They say specifically when it hit home video and then cable airings, like they, they noted in that um, oral history, VH1 would sometimes do 24 hour marathons where all they did for 24 hours was show that thing you do. And they felt like they really <laughs> found an engaged that. audience <laughs> when, when it was like, you're flipping through channels and that thing you do is always on. Um, and it was also noted that the marketing for the film um, they were targeting people who might have nostalgia for the sixties. Uh, hmm. you know, it is, so when this is coming out in the nineties, they're maybe targeting people in their fifties, <laughs> you know, uh, who, uh, to come see the film. And they felt like when the, the film found its audience and the, you know, the cast talk about when they, when they get people talking about it, it's people who found the film when they were like teenagers, it seemed to find mm -hmm. a really strong teenage audience. And so they're wondering if maybe they just marketed it wrong. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it was also marketed as Tom Hanks, you know, writing and directing debut. And they said the audience who found it and really seemed to embrace it had, didn't care who Tom Hanks was. (laughs) Yeah. That really surprises me that the marketing was to older generation when I feel like, no, it really worked for, you know, kind of, my age, my group, a little bit younger, your age. And and when Mm -hmm. I rewatched it, I rewatched it with my 13 year old daughter and she loved it, you know? And I, I, yeah, I feel like kids and teenagers and kind of younger adults would respond a little better to it than, you know, our parents, right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or somebody that was from that older generation that maybe they were marketing it to. Yeah. Um, And this, (laughs) when I was looking up the trivia, this just stood out to me. It's a random old tech alert. The film was released on VHS and Laserdisc. We all kind of remember Laserdisc. Mm-hmm. But then it was released on DivX, D-I-V-X, rather than DVD. Because this was a Fox film, and there was a war about what the next generation of discs oh, was going to be. This. Oh. And so it was not released on DVD initially. Uh, in the late 90s, it went to DivX, which, if you remember any of this, it you had to go to Circuit City to get this technology. So that's another thing that's going to date this besides it being completely dead technology. It was only through circuit city, but they were discs that you would buy. And it was like a mission impossible real. Once you started playing it, you had 48 hours and you could watch as much as you wanted for 48 hours. And then it would never play again, unless you bought the gold divix, <laughs> which would, <laughs> which cost more. And then that one would play forever. Um, but the, it was almost which like you is, were renting. Kind of like the rent versus buy, yes. you know, on streaming services right now, right? Uh-huh. There is something to that. <laughs> so. But it was with physical media. <laughs> but I it was know, like, you don't have to go back to the, idea, right? you don't have to go back to Blockbuster, I guess, uh, <laughs> was, was what they thought would be the allure of this. Uh, Divix died pretty quickly. And then all the Fox films that had not been released on DVD came out. So it was first released on DVD in 2001. And I will just say that's the version of the DVD I, a DVD I have because when I popped this thing in the DVD player, it played an advertisement telling me how cool DVDs are. <laughs> like it was advertising oh, the very man. technology I was on. It was like 3D interactive menus, awesome. <laughs> commentaries, uh, deleted scenes. You know, these are the things you're going to find mm-hmm. on DVDs. And I'm like, oh, this is really dating this DVD that yes. I'm holding, actually. <laughs> um, in 2007, there was what was called the Tom Hanks extended edition, which had 39 new minutes put in What? <laughs> 39 new minutes. That is so much content on that one. Is that I'm, available to like rent or buy? I, I've <laughs> never seen it. I mean, I can't imagine it's a better film because this one is pretty perfect as is like, I don't think Although, we need yes, how many of those 39 minutes are, is the song again. <laughs> yes, we definitely again. don't need any more of that. I mean, <laughs> I'm amazed. I'm not sick of the song. Like I watched the whole thing and I never got sick of the song, but if I had 39 more minutes of that song playing, I might. Yeah. <laughs> Or how do you do 24 hours of that? So they said um, the main things that you get in those 39 minutes, as I read some descriptions of it, is you see more of um, Guy and Faye flirting leading up to their relationship Mm. at the end of the film. You also see more of Tina becoming more distant from Guy. You get a little bit more of the bass player um, having a side relationship with one of the, uh, oh, what was the name of that girl's group? Oh, the, the, um, the, Sean... the Chan- Chantrelles? Was Chantrelles. That it? I think that's it. Uh, like you see them in a montage, like doing things together. And I guess you ah, get a whole plot okay. line of them in a, in a relationship. And the other thing that's cut is that Tom Hanks' character was in a relationship with Howie Long, the NFL player who turned actor. Um, oh. <laughs> that there was a uh, okay. that whole relationship is just gone uh, you know from this version um, 
<laughs> Interesting. Yep. Would not have guessed that. Um, one review that I saw was Roger Ebert's. He gave it three out of four stars. And he said the movie may be inconsequential, but in some ways that's a strength without hauling in a lot of deep meanings. It remembers with great warmth, a time and a place. Hmm. Um, and I want us to like circle back and say like, you know what is the film saying anything? Cause that kind of says like, it's just, uh, you know, uh, a pleasant diversion, but I think there's actually some ideas that maybe mm-hmm. are a little bit more. And it's very rare. That'll push back on a Roger Ebert. That man was amazing to like watch a film and write something about it in like mm-hmm. a weekend. Uh, and where it's like, Oh, he cracked the code. Think he knows exactly what this is. I think he might've missed a little bit with that thing you, you do. Mm. Um, another thing that I enjoyed discovering that I had never noticed before. The bass player has no name. Uh, yes, in the film. I noticed that <laughs> in the end credits, like right before the credits roll, there's a little like, here's what happened to each of these characters for the rest of their lives. And he is listed as T B player, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the last name player and the initials TB. And that just stands for the bass player. And that was a deliberate joke from Tom Hanks that no one knows who the bass player is in a band. Did I read that he gave himself a name at some point? Like the actor, the actor said, decided to TB stood for Tobias. Tobias. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I did read that. All right. Uh, but I didn't remember if I read that or if I was making that up. In the script, there's no name. And even, uh, like near the end, as the band is breaking up, Tom Hanks like gives a monologue about the characters, and he does not mention the bass player. <laughs> but just it, the bass player. It was it was a deliberate choice, and I will just say when I was looking up trivia and in that oral history, the actor who plays the bass player and, and the bass player as a character is this kind of like nerdy, straight laced, mm-hmm. like geeky guy. The actor was uh like very early like he was i want to say 17 when he made the film but completely into the alt scene like he said he he would go play rock shows and wear women's clothing he had to go change his look to go do the rehearsal or the other tryout for the film uh, for this but he wow. was by far like the most out there of the actors and you don't see that at all with, mm-hmm. with the character on screen yeah. uh, he even said that um <laughs> there was an emergency because uh being like the alternative you know uh kind of guy he just wanted to do random stuff where well while they were filming he went and got himself a pet duck and he trained the pet duck to eat from his own mouth like he would hold food out for the pet duck and the pet duck this baby duck would take the food he got he gave himself dysentery from doing this and he said uh when they're doing the scene in the red suits he soiled himself and the scene the the costume designer was like i only have one for each of you give it to me we're gonna wash it (laughs) he said tom hanks let him go shower in the in in his in his uh trailer because that was the only trailer with a shower was tom hanks's trailer oh, man. uh but he'd given himself dysentery <laughs> from playing with his pet duck okay <laughs> and the, in the uh in that oral history the costume designer said this is not the first actor i've had soil a costume that needed to be washed immediately <laughs> Um, Adam Schlesinger, who wrote the song that thing you do that we hear in the film many times, he died in 2020 from COVID complications. Um, and, uh, I, I saw, I think the number that I heard was that there were 300, uh, different acts or bands that submitted songs wow. to try and get the, the, like they were all called that thing you do. And they were just trying to capture that feel. And some of these you can go find on YouTube. Like there's a, they might be giants. Hmm. That, uh, that thing you do song that was just yes. it's never been released anywhere fun. but you can go find it on YouTube it's yeah. just their version of a song with that name they knew they wanted that name but they didn't know what else it was going to be um, 
let's see. Uh, oh, this is just a, a random personal con- con- connection. The small town scene. So the, the, the movie starts in Erie, Pennsylvania before the band makes it big and goes on a tour across the country and ends up in LA. Um, those were filmed in a city called Orange, California, which is where Virginia, our sister Kate lives. And so we've been there <laughs> to yes. some of the locations for this film shoot without even knowing it. Well, I'll be there again in a couple weeks, so I'll have to go see if I recognize anything. And uh, this was the film debut of Tom Everett Scott. He's the actor who plays Guy. And Tom Hanks said he was initially opposed to hiring him just because he knew everyone's going to say he looks like a young me. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know if I see that strong a resemblance. <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, okay. there is a resemblance that is definitely there. And Tom Hanks' wife, Rita Wilson, who has a role in the film, flirting with Tom Everett Scott, <laughs> said, <laughs> uh, you should cast him. He's cute. <laughs> Which makes me wonder, did she just want him cast so she had someone cute to flirt with? Oh, so, I mean, if she's telling her husband who is saying, oh, this guy looks just like me. And she's like, oh, cast him, he's cute. Like, there's also that. Right. A little bit of flattery happening. (laughs) Right. Um, so like I said, there's a, a big oral history of, uh, that thing you do that's on the ringer website and uh, some trivia that I found from that. So Tom Hanks said he had the idea of the movie similar for years, uh, and he began writing the treatment for it while he was making Forrest Gump. And then uh, this is where he had the film Philadelphia and the Forrest Gump come out almost, you know, around the same time. And he was doing lots of promotion. And then it was also the award circuit where he had to go do all the promotion for the awards. And so he said, I wanted something that wasn't promoting for the box office or promoting for an awards race i just want something that was mine so he worked on the script and then he just kind of casually says i gave it to nora efron for notes because <laughs> <laughs> he'd done sleepless in seattle and right uh, but i mean if you're gonna get a script doctor and you can get nora efron to be your script doctor that's a pretty good one yeah and uh he said she really helped him to focus he had too many characters and just you know too much going on for every character and she kind of said narrow this down and it ends up being it is a fairly simple story like when i was writing the summary i'm like i can zip through this summary real fast uh because it is a straight line but it's so charming and fun uh Mm -hmm. as you watch it um when they were looking to begin production they they sent out the script without tom hanks's name on it so that they would get honest feedback uh from from other professionals because you know if this says tom hanks you kind of (laughs) know there's gonna be it's gonna be hard Mm -hmm. to give fully honest feedback uh but they wanted that uh, and there's some notes like Steve Zahn said he showed up for casting and he he met Tom Hanks. He's like that you're you're the person who wrote this <laughs> <laughs> surprise. Yeah. And it's a pretty impressive young cast that they get. They all do a great job in their roles. And this was one of Charlize Theron's first roles. Um, like I was looking up, she'd done like a straight to DVD Children of the Corn sequel. And then this, I think it was. Wow. Um, but reportedly after like seeing her in the casting session, Tom Hanks just told the room like she's going to be a star and he was right um she (laughs) reportedly wanted the role of Faye, but he's like "Mm, Ah. i think you're tina (laughs) uh for the role of Faye, he um had in mind alicia silverstone as he was writing the character Um, but i think they said there was a scheduling conflict but in that oral history they named up a lot of other actors that were also somehow in the mix or at least read for a part um or were considered ethan hawk ben affleck matt damon billy crudup (laughs) We're all, wow. we're all, you know, potential band members at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, Jonathan Skeech, who gets the the role of Jimmy, uh, what he did that he said stood out is he was the, the monologue that they were supposed to do on the casting was the I quit moment. Mm-hmm. And he sang I quit. And Tom Hanks said no one else has sung that. I love it. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. Because yeah. that's yeah, that's a pretty memorable moment. 
he said, hey, I just thought my character's a singer. This is mm-hmm. how, how I do this emotional thing. Hmm. I like that. Um, so that's a lot of the, the trivia I had. Like, um, if, if you're a fan of that thing uh, you do, I recommend going and reading that whole uh, The Ringer article. I'll put a link to it mm-hmm. uh, in the show notes of this episode. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we jump into the summary of Virginia? Um, I think that's good. All right. Well, before we get to that summary, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank any of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we're consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support our show with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. All right. Uh, Like I said, this is a pretty easy film to summarize. In 1964, Guy Patterson is working at his family's appliance store, but he really comes alive at night when he can play the drums after hours. Some old friends have a band uh, scheduled to perform at a local talent show, but the drummer breaks his arm trying to jump over parking (laughs) meters. And so they go recruit Guy to come and play drums for them. Uh, It's going to be a slow love ballad that the lead singer Jimmy has written called That Thing You Do. But at the talent show, Guy speeds up the pace and the tempo, and it becomes a pop earworm. This is at much to Jimmy's consternation. Jimmy can't handle this. Uh, But you got to go with the drummer's pace. and the crowd goes wild they win the contest and they get hired to go play at a local restaurant fans from that that enjoyed that performance of the talent show come just to hear the song that thing you do um and at this time guy is dating a girl named tina and jimmy is dating a girl named Faye. uh the band which is going to get the name the wonders but they are very into the idea of puns like the beatles miss you know the like a beat of music beatles mm-hmm. so um Jimmy in particular wants to make sure they're called the wonders O N E, but everyone calls it the Oneaters. And they're going to record us a record of the song and sell it at the restaurant uh, while, while they're playing their gigs and a low level talent manager. hears the song and signs the band um, to a contract promising to get the song played on the radio. And they do. And this is one of my, my favorite scenes in the film. There's such great energy when the band hears their song actually on the Mm -hmm. radio. And it's really great directing from Tom Hanks. Uh, we'll get to this in, in the discussion. But I just want to say, why has he not directed more? <laughs> right? I, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, like that whole, like when you think, like think, think through the, uh, all the shots they had to get and that whole mm-hmm. sequence of just like them running through the town and coming together. There's so much that's going on and it works so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the, um, the song is actually getting some play on local radio and the band is going to go perform at a Pittsburgh showcase. The performance actually goes terribly. <laughs> it's about as bad as it could go. But after this, they meet Mr. White, who is a rep for Playtone Records. He fixes the band name spelling, tells them they're just the wonders and signs them to the label. The band joins a tour of Playtone acts that is going around to state fairs. Most of these acts, well, it's either new acts that are coming up or old mm-hmm. acts that are going down <laughs> and yep. they get to meet together on this tour. Um, and uh, for the wonders, it's a lot of like the acts that they were listening to when they were kids. So that it is very exciting to meet a lot of these people. At this time, we, we learn that Tina is not a great girlfriend and she ends up in a relationship with her dentist. Jimmy is not a great boyfriend, but he gets Faye to come on the tour as their costume mistress. I think is the, that I think it's yes. the t- title that she has to <laughs> have, costume term. mistress. Yes. <laughs> 
the song that thing you do makes the billboard charts and it keeps rising uh when it reaches number seven on the charts the band is pulled from the state fair tour they're too big now and they're taken to la to go do press appearances lenny the guitarist flirts with the receptionist he meets and they start dating immediately the wonders are scheduled to go on a hollywood television showcase but the bass player has disappeared he's enlisted in the military and he joined up with a group of soldiers that he met and they go to disneyland together um white brings in a professional bass player to replace the missing bass player um when while playing on television a caption under jimmy says careful girls he's engaged after the performance jimmy is angry and he yells at Faye and asks if she uh, made them put that up there and Faye breaks down and tells him to stay away from her she's angry at all the kisses she has wasted on him uh lenny is going to leave with his new girlfriend to go to las vegas um uh, soon when jimmy guy and the new bass player called wolfman that's i think that's all we ever hear from him is just mm-hmm. wolfman, wolfman. They, yep, <laughs> they arrive at a recording studio to record new material lenny doesn't show up he has gotten married in vegas and <laughs> just kind of lost track of things uh jimmy is angry that at this recording session the wonders are expected to record covers of existing songs and also a spanish version of that thing you do he wants to just record new music but White says, you should have read the contract before you signed it. And Jimmy is going to quit. The new bass player leaves and Guy is left alone in the recording studio. He riffs on the drums and one of his favorite jazz musicians hears him do this and comes in and they just play together. Uh, this musician tells Guy that he's good enough to stay in L.A. and work as a professional drummer. Guy goes back to the hotel and finds Faye, who is heading back to Pennsylvania. He tells him that he tells her that he's going to stay uh, and try and make it as a musician. She leaves the hotel, but then he runs out and catches her and asks her when was the last time that she was kissed really well. They kiss the end. Good summary. <laughs> Thank you. There's so much that I love about this film. I will say there's one thing that I caught this time that I do not remember ever catching before. And I think it's because I'm just more aware of this trope. Um, and that's the trope of the magical Negro. Um, mm, yes, which, uh, the owner of the hotel kind yeah. of feels like he's falling into this, uh, portrayal that the trope is that often white, uh, creators, um, often with good intentions, create a, a black character who seems just a, somehow to be a little bit more aware of the world in some way, but their role is really there to guide the white characters on their journey. Yeah, I actually noticed that as well this time that I did not remember. And I think when it really stands out is he breaks the the fourth wall at the end and looks directly at the camera as the last shot of the film. (laughs) And that's where it really starts to feel like, "Mm." (laughs) right. Again, white creators often with good intentions, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and wanting to provide uh, representation in some way uh, can, mm-hmm. can fall into this. So I just want to point that out. I, I did see that there were actually two alternate ways that they were going to do the the final montage of uh, showing what happens to the characters. One, the one that we see is the the photographs with like little text on screen saying, you know, uh, Lenny runs a hotel in California mm-hmm. or in Las Vegas, um, you know, and, and uh, Jimmy is currently single. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, Jimmy formed his band, the herdsmen, which is what he want to call this one. But herds <laughs> sound like the sound, like you hear mm-hmm. something. Uh, and, but the other version was that that actor looks directly at the camera and uh, does it as a monologue. Uh, and explains what happens oh, to each of the characters. And oh, okay. he said they, they tested it. Um, he, that actor is in the in the oral history. So they tested it. It was kind of a 50-50 split. And it was just, you know, what does Tom Hanks end up deciding? He decided to just do the photo uh, version of it. But he kept that last shot as the char- uh, as the actor looks at the camera and was about to begin the monologue, explaining what happens mm-hmm. to each one of the characters. 
Oh, well, that helps make sense now to mm-hmm. understand that. Because that it background is, that it could have gone either way and kind of why he was looking at the camera right yes. before that happens. Because it is kind of an odd moment when like our last shot <laughs> is this actor, you know, a, a character breaking the fourth wall in a film that hasn't had that um, as a style. So I just want to point that out uh, before we talk about everything that we love <laughs> about this. And the first thing that I want to say is I am so astounded that I was not sick of the song by the end of the film. Right. <laughs> My daughter and I started counting you know and say okay how many times is this song in the film but we never got sick of it we just became very aware that it was constantly being played mm-hmm. at least snippets of it you know throughout. Yeah. and uh, like sometimes we get a shortened version where there's no chorus or anything uh sometimes it's just giving us enough of the hook that we know what mm-hmm. it is and then they move on to something else um it, they fortunately don't use it like the big montage they don't actually use this song they use a different song um i think that's that was a good choice mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to prevent that um but it's kind of like there's a there's a video game called zelda and the ocarina of time and in that you have to play various notes to like travel to different points in time uh, you, mm. you whip out your ocarina and you got to do the sequence on your controller. Um, and I realized when I was playing that, like, I think I've played the same tune <laughs> 70, 80 times while trying to beat this game. And I'm not sick of mm-hmm. it. Like they, they found a tune that's just the right level of familiar, but not grading, <laughs> you know, and, and um, with all those submissions that they had for the song, that thing you do, I think they really did choose. Like, I can't imagine there was a better one that they missed mm-hmm. uh, than this kind of doo whoppy you know pop 1960s pops feel to it yeah no it yeah like you said for the number of times that it's in there it's amazing you don't really get sick of it but no it's always just enjoyable and kind of there in the background and you sort of start bouncing you Mm -hmm. know when it comes on a little bit and yeah and the song did chart in real life uh oh did. did it yes from the film soundtrack it actually made it onto the billboard charts do you know how high it went? Uh, I, I just saw that it was char- it, it charted is, okay. is the language I remember. I, I can kind of look it up in the background and, and circle back to that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention was I was so impressed with the directing. Um, the There's so many interesting camera angles and mm-hmm. ways that you can present the scene. Like the, the moment when the, the drummer breaks his arm. <laughs> <laughs> It's done I in the background scene. of two other characters having an argument yep. uh, and, and like having this, this not like an angry argument, but just like they're not, they're talking past each other, not understanding each other. And in the background, you see the two other members of the band goofing off, uh, trying to jump over these parking meters. And then one of them falls over and then the other one walks up and says, he fell down. <laughs> I can't remember the character's name, but he's just. It was the bass player. <laughs> yeah. saying he fell down. He fell down. Uh, it's so it, it was just done in an interesting way that was so great. And there were so many times where I'm like, Oh, I, I kind of like that camera angle. And Oh, I like, I like how this was staged. And um, again, again, it just kind of made me like, why hasn't Tom Hanks done more? Like he wrote, directed this. I know he wrote a short story collection that I own and I've read about half of, and I enjoyed each one of the short stories I've read. And I know he just wrote a new, uh, a new novel um, that, that came out about the process of trying to make a big budget Hollywood film. Is <laughs> what the novel is about. Mm. So no, it seems like he has, interesting he has some impulse as a creator as well as an actor, you know, where, mm-hmm. often, you know, as an actor, he's generally interpreting other people's words, but he seems to have some impulse also to just create stories. And I kind of wish we'd, we got more from him as a director specifically. Well, I think as an actor, right. He's so great because he just embodies these characters and just sort of, you know, loses himself into whatever character he's playing. And I think this movie is so character driven. 
mm-hmm. that you see, you know, kind of his process and in the way he um, focuses so much on character. I think you really see that translate um, mm-hmm. into this movie because it's just all about, you know, these kids. Right. And yeah. And the experience that they're having. And it does feel like each one of these is a fully, like, you know, they, they have their own motivations. And one yeah. thing that I heard Tom Hanks say uh, as I was looking stuff up was that he didn't want any bad guys in the film. There's going to be tension and there's going to be drama. The closest we get is probably Jimmy and, you know, and the way he treats Faye, right? That's the closest mm-hmm. we get to a true villain. Uh, but even then it's like, he's obsessed with making his own art. It's not like he's uh, malicious uh, or evil. <laughs> you know, he's, he's just absent-minded and, and uh, he has yeah, a little bit of a wandering eye. Maybe. Yeah. You self-centered know. and a little bit of a wandering eye towards some of the, yeah. the, the women uh, on the, on the tour and definitely doesn't treat right. Faye right. Um, but he said uh, when he brought in, there's so many random actors where it's like, Oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy in this film. And I, I don't know if it's Tom Hanks pulling in favors or what, like Brian Cranston's on here for 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, um, uh, Uncle Bob, the one that was recording the record, was Chris Isaac. Yeah. I recognized him. Yeah. Um, and, and the guy from uh, the, the first manager. I, I think he's in Apollo 13 with, oh, with Tom Hanks. Oh, uh, yeah. I know um, who you're talking about. But that actor said that when he w- he was told what kind of role he was going to have, he's like, okay, when do I screw the band over? And Tom Hanks said, no, there's no bad bad guys. There's circumstances that are going to make drama and stress, but there's mm-hmm. no like evil person in the in No, this they film. all feel very human. You know, and and like the guy's parents, right? They don't, at first they're just furniture store operators, you know, right? They don't really understand their son and, you know, but they don't seem like bad guys. They're just, they're just humans, right? They're just Mm -hmm. people that you could imagine meeting. But but there's so many great little moments that reveal characters. Like every line of dialogue, it feels like it's Tom Hanks revealing a character. Like when the uh, guy's sister uh you know is working oh, at the store <laughs> does this mean i get paid <laughs> yes and, and when guy leaves town to go on the tour the dad is kind of like in a huff is like okay you you've you've been promoted you've got guys guys job and, and she's just says, does this mean, mean i get paid and i can't remember what the dad says but he's like no don't be crazy <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love that line i think that's her only line in the whole movie <laughs> oh so many great little lines and i also want to say as a culture we have not supported steve zahn enough Amen. Uh, this movie, even though I've seen him in, I don't know how many movies and TV shows, it felt like a revelation of him mm-hmm. that I just have not appreciated him enough. So I'm pretty sure he was the first one cast uh, for the film. And from what I think I, I think it was in that oral history, uh, Ethan Hawke recommended him. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, well, they he they does... did a play together. He does, yeah, he does sing and play guitar, right? Mm-hmm. I know I, I know that about him, that he's like a, a really good guitarist um, and things like that. So he has that musical side. Well, I think he, at the time, he didn't do guitar. He said he, if I'm remembering oh, okay. right, he had played, I want to say trombone, uh, like all through school. But he's like, but I could read music. Uh, and, and so like Tom Hanks asked him, like, can you really read music? He's like, no, really, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all the all the actors it said i think it was a like a full month of like four to six hour sessions every day with someone training them on their instruments uh they, they weren't yes. actually yeah. playing you know like everything was recorded by professionals uh you know for this but they were they, they needed to learn enough to be able to mimic uh and look mm-hmm. like you know they were fully playing and they they all really 
did commit to reaching that. And so I think out of that, it's like, well, now I play the guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did look it up Uh, in real life. uh, That thing you do peaked at number 41 on the billboard hot 100 and in the billboard album list, it uh, the, that thing you do reached number 21. Okay. And it was nominated for most of the like best original songs at Oscars and Golden Globes. I don't think he won. Um, let's see. Oh, they lost to an Andrew Lloyd Webber, Evita. Uh, new song that they threw into the Madonna film. <laughs> Which it would have been ironic had it won because I think that was part of the point that Tom Hanks talks about. That he didn't want to make a movie that was, you know oscar fodder right yeah. or he he just wanted to make a movie but not have to do the huge press tours and the promotions mm-hmm. and the you know and so that that actually would have been very ironic had it won yeah. <laughs> some sort of award um and uh, like we were sorry circling back we were talking about steve's on uh he mentioned that the the set was allowed for a lot of collaboration uh and and so like there's in some of the scenes like there's this uh one montage where we see steve zahn like playing go fish with random old men oh <laughs> yeah they said that, that. that came up on set where like tom hanks and he were like we need you to be doing something uh what what can we do and they kind of worked it out together uh yes. was gonna be doing and you can tell like half his lines feel ad-libbed i don't know mm-hmm. how much was written for those but he has such a natural delivery of the smart aleck mm-hmm. um that knows he's he's being goofy um and uh, he really does deliver. And he mentioned that his his mom came to set um, on the scene when he's in the restaurant and hears that uh, the receptionist that he was flirting with has pulled up outside and like he eats the random thing to try and fix his breath and runs out the door. <laughs> he said his mom was there on set that day. And after one of the takes, Tom Hanks turned to his mom and said, I think that was good. Do you think we've got it? And like called his mom by name. And he said, my mom still talks about that. That Aww. Tom Hanks like acknowledged her and by name and asked for her approval about one of his takes in the film. Oh, that's awesome. I love that story. From all reports, by the way, like Tom Hanks really is just a good guy. I just want to say that like reading up on this and like doing the deep dives, like, you know, that's the reputation he has, but I could mm-hmm. not find a complaint about Tom Hanks. That's good. You need those people. You need to know that those people exist, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that there just are these genuinely good and insanely talented at the same time people, right. you know, and you just need to know that they actually do exist. Because we have so many of the obvious, like, insanely talented, but the power's Crazy. gone to their head or, versions. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or they went off the rails, maybe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But he seems like he has stayed, you know, just grounded and realistic about life, you know, and not getting carried away with success. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I very much appreciate that about him. Yeah. I mean, I, I never liked anything about this, but anytime there's like a celebrity death, it's like, oh, which ones are going to really hit me? Like the first part of my mind. And I just know the day Tom Hanks oh. goes, it's going to be a hard one. Oh, Yes. <laughs> not going to think about that yeah okay. yeah no no i'm sorry listeners for putting that into your minds in any way <laughs> just really dragged you down in this episode <laughs> yes um is there anything you want to say about the film in general before we talk about uh guy and Faye and a little more specificity um no i think we're good yeah if we can go ahead and and launch into them yeah just thinking about kind of in general um but i think they're the you know, obviously the the main ones and the protagonists. So I want to give them a decent amount of time. Right. Uh, and Guy, I, it, could, it could almost be the stereotype of like the 
the tortured artist who's like forced into like the job that he doesn't want in order to to make life but he doesn't really feel tortured like he's a little bit handbacked mm-hmm. by his dad like his dad's like oh son you forgot to turn off the lights <laughs> you know? right what, what are you doing but it's not like the family's like no you're forbidden from playing drums it's like you know just be responsible too and when he does like go on tour yeah the family like the dad is annoyed that you know he's not here at the things but they are honestly do feel very supportive when he's on the tv show like they're very excited for their son uh and so there's it, it's not coming out of like a bad social situation that this like musical genius has to blossom it's just it was kind of a mundane job by chance he stumbles into playing with this band and increasing the tempo of the song which by chance is going to lead to this whirlwind, uh, you know, set of months of their lives where they're going to become the one hit wonder wonder, which as the Tom Hanks character says, like that's a story that's been told a million times. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, everyone thinks they're the protagonist of the, uh, you know, of the great success story, but so many of the successes are just, yeah, you, you had it and then it went away. Well, and I think there was something very specific in playing with, with, you know, him that he's, the drummer right he's in the back of the band he only got asked to fill in for a guy who broke his arm you know and, and kind of he was not the one who was supposed to have this success and yet it just sort of landed on him but you know i think you also see throughout the movie that like tom hanks's character hones in on him as this is the potential star. Like he sets him apart by making him wear the glasses, you know, and, and says, you're the smart one. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that, that he sees that he has something that the others don't, um, that he wants to kind of nurture and be a part of. And in some ways, what he sees is like, you're a good guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have your head on straight. (laughs) Yeah. You're the smart one. Right. He says that, right. You know, Jimmy's like the talent, right and, but he, and, he's a little conceited because of that right uh, lenny's the goofball which we need to cut the tension but right. uh <laughs> but you're the smart one that gives you you know kind of this this potential to really survive and thrive mm-hmm. and like we said the it's by chance that he gets pulled in but he is agentive in that he's the one that makes the song into something that's gonna be a pop hit um, yeah i don't think without him they would have found that level of success you know, right. That he was the one that could see that and kind of pull the tempo up. Whereas the other band player, <laughs> which I love, um, I'm trying to think of the actor's name. Oh, um, he's one of those that's like still floating uh, around. Giovanni in Ribisi, I think is yeah. his name, you know, that again, just, you see him in all sorts of different roles, but I love that where you kind of see like he becomes the son and, and kind of yes. takes Guy's role in the family, right? He's working in the family business. You feel like he and, like, the, and the sister are going to have a relationship, right? right? <laughs> you know, he could be like the son-in-law. And, they, and so it's like their lives kind of switch, right? You know, between Guy and the one that was supposed to be the drummer, you know, and supposed to have the success, but doesn't. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think where I want to like give that little bit of pushback on Roger Ebert's uh, review where he says like, it's, it's fun, but inconsequential. Um, and there, there maybe isn't a being, I think there's something that it's saying about the randomness of success. Um, and also um, for this group, like Tom Hanks, he didn't want a bad guy, but it also it's so inevitable. That this group is going to break up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, uh, and it's not necessarily because any of them are evil. It's just the, there's competing interests you know the one 
has enlisted in the military already. <laughs> the other one, ha- you know, is going to go get married <laughs> out of the blue. Uh, the one just wants to do art and not be the face of a mm-hmm. pop sensation. Uh, and I-, I think when uh, a lot of films that are going to be about like artists uh, achieving fame and then the fall from grace, which is the cycle that this kind of has, it's about that tortured genius figure that finally achieves and then can't handle it and makes bad choices or, you know, starts doing drugs or, you know, Mm -hmm. falls in with the wrong crowd, whatever it is. Uh, And this doesn't really have that. It's just so much of life is about chance. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. if that guy hadn't broken his arm, the guy would have kept working for his dad and maybe would have kept dating (laughs) Dina and stopped her from going to that dentist appointment, (laughs) you know, and could have had a fine life. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we got to, we get this snapshot of, this i want to say it's probably about what six months of their lives maybe maybe less maybe maybe mm-hmm. three <laughs> it's not a full yeah, year it's I don't kind think. of a flash in the pan although i do now that i'm thinking about it and we have a couple of scenes where guy quotes the you know yes i am spartacus uh-huh. I want to and not to the i am spartacus like you know that has all sorts of Hollywood associations, <laughs> you know, things like that. But I don't think he's trying to reflect that it, when he says, I'm Spartacus and I have led you here, right. you know, and so there's that sense of how much intention and awareness does he have of what he did, you know, to like bringing the tempo up mm-hmm. and that he was the one approached by Tom right. Hanks's character. To and also the by the first back. manager. Like he's the one that gets both managers. Right. You know, and so it's like all of a sudden kind of a, how much awareness and intention did he actually have in this versus this was all just chance and happenstance mm-hmm. and, and well, things like right. that. So I'm it not, does they, make you kind of consider that a little bit. I want to say the, the I am Spartacus line. This is a movie set in 1964. Yes. Spartacus right. came out in 1960. Like it, it's really just, I think, a pop culture reference that would have felt right uh, for that time. You know, like the, the way yeah. teenagers today, like will quote whatever movie they've seen a dozen times to each other all the time. <laughs> but uh, it was know, interesting like, when he said, you know, when he expanded on it to not just the, I am Spartacus. Yes, right? absolutely. Spartacus it's, it's, and I have led you here. Right. And, you and know, Lenny and, gives him a look. And it's like the one time Lenny kind of says, right. Mm, like, like I think as an audience, we're supposed to say like is, one, is he getting a little full of himself? Which I don't think the film is trying to tell us. No, I didn't feel that. No, but I line. think there's an initial like, because that is kind of a conceited thing to say. Like, I'm Spartacus and I've led you here. Because Lenny says, isn't it crazy that we're here? Like, there's adoring fans cheering for them. Like, an arena mm-hmm. full, basically, of screaming fans. And Lenny turns, like, right before they play the song. is like, isn't this crazy? How did we get here? And he just says the I'm Spartacus. Puts on the sunglasses and says, for I have led you here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which could be a very conceited thing. But I think you're right in reading it as... um like he knows like you guys had something, but my drumming actually is what pushed this over into right. a pop culture sensation right here. Yeah. And so it's an, it uh, is an interesting way of, you know, that one little line always struck me every time I, you know, cause there's a couple different places where he says that I'm, I'm Spartacus. And, and I, I know, you know, it's, it's that that film was coming out at that time and was, had a big impact and stuff, but but it always just felt like there was something a little bit more to mm-hmm. it um, with with the delivery, you know, that just kind of made me, um, I, I think in a way it makes his character a little more interesting and a mm-hmm. little less 
kind of one note, you know, that he's just like wide eyed and along for the ride. And, you know, this is going to be fun and let's see how far it takes us kind of thing. And um, while Jimmy, the lead singer, is the one that seems to like want to create art, Guy is the one who definitely appreciates art. Yes, you know, he knows and, and art. <laughs> I, I think um, I read that there was an alternative ending also uh, as a possibility where instead of becoming a professional drummer, uh, he became on, on that uh, K-Jazz radio station that had um, Howard uh mm-hmm. what, what ron howard's brother what's his name oh i can uh, yeah ron howard's brother everyone knows you have his ron face howard's in your head brother. right now right uh, um that he was going to end up working there but interviewing jazz legends like almost as a documentary interesting was going to be like one that. like that was one of the possible title cards at the end uh was that he became um like a music documentarian uh which fits for the character like we just mm-hmm. get this absolute passion uh, for music and for jazz. I mean, it's, it definitely feels Especially a bit like, jazz. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, La La Land, uh, uh, Sebastian, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's almost like that. Uh, well, and he's thing. in La La Land. Yes. Oh, did you, I, I've read about this, that, um, like when Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling found out that he was cast, uh, like they both started singing <laughs> that thing you do. <laughs> that thing you do. Yes. <laughs> awesome. And Damien, uh, Chazelle said that he wanted, wanted him because of, that thing you do uh, you know in the nice. idea of like a movie musical he wanted him on and it, but like everyone was obsessed with the you know with this this film mm-hmm. um and particularly emma stone it sounded like like as a teenager this was one of the films that she saw a hundred times oh nice i love that yeah um okay uh let's see what about Faye? what stands out what stands out for you about Faye? her eyes every time she's on a screen i mean <laughs> she just has these like gigantic i don't know <laughs> you know they just I mean, you know why she was cast just... to like be in a movie Sucked with with uh with frodo right screen. you know as this ethereal oh, uh, yes. mystical yeah. being it's like those two like in an eye war of like the close-up that peter jackson does in lord of the rings on their mm-hmm. eyes <laughs> it's like oh i get it but i also i mean i think it's interesting to think of you i i was always aware that this is Liv tyler right mm-hmm. you know she never can lose herself in a role quite like a tom hanks or something like that and then with that you know that she she grew up you know with this not pop star that's not the right word but you know a very famous rock star dad you know who i'm sure she she lived the music industry right yes i think and i saw her say this, something like this extra level of awareness mm-hmm. of of this industry and what all of this would mean i saw her say something like i've seen 100 bands break up <laughs> like, yeah. like i'm gonna be in a movie about a band band that becomes big and break up i've seen 100 bands break up or one hit wonders you know i mean all of it right she would just have this level of awareness um to bring to it that you know is going on in her head mm-hmm. yeah and um as there's so much about the film that i enjoy in these performances but like the one part that like stands out of like oh that was actually really great acting is her her monologue at the end when the kiss yeah the the the, i've wasted what thousands and thousands of kisses on you Mm -hmm. and the way she says you stay away from me isn't that what the line is Is it Mm -hmm. you stay away from me i think so something like like that just an edge to that delivery that is like this is not uh, a hysterical monologue Mm -hmm. in any way but there's just this emotional edge to the way she says you stay away from me that like it cuts 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it is such a great performance. And then like the, the friendship with her and guy that is, you know, you feel definitely a warmth there that you don't, you never even really see with her and Jimmy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's no warmth in that romantic relationship. Uh, and their friendship has a warmth that absolutely like as an audience, like the whole story is set up for you to root for these two to get together at the end. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, the destination that we want this film to go on and for the film to feel positive. I think it has to land there because <laughs> otherwise this is a film about like the dissolution of these people's dreams. <laughs> That's... Right, of a band, a relationship, <laughs> you know, kind of everything. <laughs> and yeah, but the film never feels heavy and it never feels um you know, uh like like gritty the way that like you know, mm-hmm. a film about the dissolution of a band could feel. Uh and I think one reason is uh you know, Tom Hanks deft the directorial touch, but also that you know, our final note is this kind of uh dopamine hit, the love story that we wanted to see happen happen. Like the characters that are written for us to root for them to get together, get together. And that works as a story trope. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. This is say like, this is kind of telegraphed that we want these two to get there. It's like, yeah, and I'm happy they did. <laughs> yeah. I think it feels like even though the band is ending, it's actually opening the door to a new beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? And so you don't feel that weight of loss or endings. You feel like something fresh and new is starting. Yes, there's another chapter. You end on an up note rather than just that down note. Yeah, because I mean, that Liv Tyler speech comes pretty close to the end. It's in the Mm -hmm. last like seven, eight minutes of the film, I want to say. Yeah. Because it's that speech and then then the recording session, right? Mm -hmm. And then... uh... (laughs) Yeah, the scene with the two of them. So (laughs) Yep, that's about it. He goes back to the hotel uh, and he's trying to rush out of the hotel because the studio's not going to be paying for it anymore. (laughs) <laughs> and notice when he asks her when's the last time she's been really well kissed it's not jimmy oh yeah that, you know <laughs> right it's three years and a different name that we've and we never were told heard explicitly that she and jimmy have been together for two and a half years right so, like as soon as she says three years it's like mm, jimmy oh jimmy <laughs> <laughs> and I, I i think it's important that yeah we're annoyed by jimmy but Again, it's not like he's some creep. (laughs) Well, and they don't give him a bad future, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when they're doing that montage at the end, he's successful. He goes on to another band and it seems like he gets a certain level of success. And I think what he's producing, you know, at the end or something like that. So it's not like they give him a terrible ending or a terrible story. It was just you know, the end of this band story, but it wasn't necessarily the end of his story. And I think it is like to kind of step back and say like this, this film is a downer, <laughs> you know, it's about a one hit wonder that that can't make it work, but it never feels that way. Like it, it's a happy mm-hmm. diversion. I understand Roger Ebert saying that like this does come across as a very easy to consume, pleasant, uh, you know, brisk isn't about like 90 minutes. It's not long uh you know the runtime which is why i was shocked when i saw that there's 30 minutes of additional scenes in one extended cut (laughs) yeah Um, but well and i think for him you know it's kind of okay it's a one-hit wonder right you know it's not there's no great significance to this story you know or something but but there is significance to the story for them mm -hmm. for the characters who live it um and i think somewhere i read 
maybe it was in, it, it may have been in that same um, interview that you talked about where Tom Hanks um, talked about being fascinated by the story of somebody who substituted for Ringo Starr and the Beatles mm-hmm. for just a short, brief time. Where they were on tour and, and Ringo was sick. So yeah, and that's he someone. became, you know, kind of fascinated about, well, what was this this substitute's life like for that time? You know, and I, I think that's the feel of this, right? Is just kind of embracing what this what this was, you know, for them mm-hmm. during this short kind of flash in a pan time. Um but then, right. you know, that, all the opportunities suddenly... that it led to. And it it wasn't like meant to be this downer that it suddenly ended and they broke up and stuff like that. It was kind of they made the most of it while they had it. And then, you know, then it gave them opportunities in the case of Guy and Faye. It gave them the opportunity to get to know each other and get together. And, you know, yeah. for others, it gave them their own opportunities and they just kind of made the most of them. Yeah, when I I read that quote, like it took me a second because we talked about like the random replacement for one of the Beatles. It's like, what is it like for this one person to step into the biggest act, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in, in the world? And I was like, well, I mean, that happens in this where like the bass player gets replaced by Wolfman, but the story's not at all about that. And then I realized, oh, it's like these guys have this handful of months where suddenly they're the biggest thing in the world and then it's over. That's mm-hmm. it. And that's, yeah, the, that's you know, it. that's all, you know, they're not going to have another huge hit together. Mm-hmm. And they get compared to the Beatles. Like it's mentioned several times, uh, you know, that this is, you know, the, the, the American sensation, you know, as a, as a teen heartthrob group getting compared to the Beatles. Um, and, and so, you know, I just had a, because he includes that beat with Wolfman. I was like, is that what he's talking about? But no, it's just this idea of suddenly you're world famous and then you're not. Mm hmm. But I, but I think there's a, you know, at least for me, and like we've talked about, there's just a very positive approach to it of sort of just embracing it for what it is, rather than regretting everything that it's not. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you you showed it to your daughter, uh, and she loved it. I think this is one of those films that's just going to kind of float through and mm-hmm. like you can name drop. Uh, like I, in the the discussion of it kind of failing at the box office it mentioned it's like you know it couldn't beat the second weekend of the first wives club when it came out it was it was third at the box office the the week it came it was released which is like when you hear like there's a new tom hanks movie and he wrote and directed it and it comes third at the box office (laughs) and this is like in the 90s when he was like now he's america's dad but then he was like tom hanks box office star right (laughs) you know uh it it just seems so bizarre but like one reference they made was like uh you know it couldn't beat the second weekend of the first wives club and i'm like i don't know when the last time anyone mentioned the first wives club (laughs) you know and and yet this is one that i feel like gets mentioned and gets gets Mm -hmm. talked about i'm glad it found uh its audience eventually yes agreed uh do you have any final thoughts about that thing you do um it's awesome if you haven't seen it go watch it i know watch it with your kids if you you know <laughs> if if you saw it years ago go watch it again and watch it with your kids and you know and and yeah it was it was interesting to watch with her and just see how much she enjoyed it and and feel like kind of the timelessness of it i think because it's set in an older time right it doesn't like date the technology right because it's already Mm -hmm. set in an older time and and so you know she could appreciate that as just kind of a a period piece and she knew who tom hanks was 
you know, but some of the other people, she didn't necessarily know who they were. And I was just gasping at how young they all looked. <laughs> it's like a breakfast club, you know, or something like that. And you're like, wait, he's in it? And she's in it? And what? <laughs> you know? like, yeah, like, they're they all still all working like actors babies, uh, but, in this. Um, but it's just so enjoyable and just, yeah, it just makes you feel good watching it. Yeah, it was incredibly pleasant to put it on. I don't know when I last watched it. Um, it's one that I know I've seen more than once in my life. Uh, definitely as a teenager, I saw it several times. Uh, but I was uh, just, it was so pleasant uh, to mm-hmm. have on and be watching. And so if you haven't watched it for a while, go go uh, go pull it up. Uh, and I think you, you will enjoy it. Uh, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast and your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Talk to you for posting our theme music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss a great character and a great story. So